0: Hello and welcome to another Sustainable Wine podcast with me, Toby Webb. Continuing our Thought Leadership series today, I'm talking with Miguel Torres again. Welcome back to the podcast, Miguel. How are you today?
1: Hi, Toby. Delighted to be with you in this podcast. Thank you.
0: Well, thank you, as I was saying before we turned on the tape, for the the great lunch you gave me a year ago, and particularly the tour and the conversation we had about Torres's sustainability efforts. Perhaps we can start with a kind of overview. For those listeners who haven't had the privilege of having a look around your operations, I was pretty amazed by the amount of sustainability innovations that you're trying to take to scale. Perhaps you could give us a, a couple of highlights or some of the highlights of where you are on sustainability innovation with Torres, just to get us started, Miguel.
1: As you know, our program for sustainability has three aspects. One is adaptation. We have to adapt to this new reality, which is the warming. That's why we We bought land already 10 years ago in higher altitudes. And today, you know, this land in the Prairie Pyrenees are yielding excellent harbors and it was a good decision. So now we have to move maybe a bit higher in the future and we will see. Second, of course, we have to make our efforts to mitigate climate change, mitigate the warming. And that's why, you know, we have invested so much mainly in photovoltaic panels right now, we are already producing in packs in the winery. 50% of the electricity is produced by us with our PVs, photovoltaics. For next year, the target is to reach 70%. Not only because we believe in that, but also because we save money. It's so expensive today, it's worth to invest in that, no? And second, there are other things we are exploring. We told you already some time ago about the capture of carbon dioxide, carbon dioxide from the fermentation. This year already we used some 20 tons of the CO2 from our fermentation, our wines, that was gathered in a plastic uh, globe, something like that. And then it's been used in the winery as a blanket to prevent oxidation of the finished wines. And this has been efficient. Of course, we used CO2 before, but this CO2 came from the chemical industry. So by using our own CO2, we are somehow helping or at least not using a chemical CO2. And that's something we gave the the technology, which is very simple, to all the wineries in Spain. We plan to use 100 tons next year. And maybe, you know, if in Spain there are 1,000 wineries followed, okay, that will be 100,000 tons all over Spain. And if you multiply this by so many wines in the world, well, you know, at the end, you reach a figure that could be interesting in a few years, what the wine world could contribute to mitigate this CO2. It's a good CO2, our CO2 in the wines, because before... The vines have taken it by photosynthesis from the troposphere. But you know, fermentation is going up again. So if we can at least capture part of it, I think is a good step. And of course, we are experimenting with all the possibilities with this CO2 from the fermentation. What else could be done in terms of carbonates? Of course, using, using photovoltaic electricity, produce methane that we've done already in a smaller scale, and so forth. I mean, there are many possibilities that we are trying to explore. And finally, our program goes as well to influence others. And that's where our international wineries program action, IWCA, that started almost three years ago with Jackson, has been progressing. We are already now 37 wineries all over the world that have joined us, and they agree to our protocol. And well, I hope, you know, we can reach 100 next year. And this, I think, is a good example of the wine industry could do, you know, in order to prove the interest in this problem, no?
0: IWCA is a great example of leadership and in fact before we were recording this podcast we've just been talking with your colleague Josep about how the Sustainable Wine Roundtable and IWCA can start collaborating I'm pleased to announce that we've come up with some great ideas which we'll be following up on with Josep and others at IWCA. Congratulations on kicking off that very important initiative. With SWR, the Sustainable Wine Roundtable, our role is very much not to duplicate but to complement. And we want to make sure that we can help the wine industry learn from every organization and avoid that duplication. We're looking forward to working with you on that. Let's stick with climate change issues for a moment, Miguel. It's been a pretty tough year for lots of reasons, for lots of wine businesses, but climate change is still getting a lot of attention in wine. Do you see there being a bit of a gap? Is there anything missing from the current approaches? We could talk about Spain specifically, if you like, because it's the world's largest wine-producing country. And yet, I don't see as much leadership in sustainability elsewhere as I see from Torres. Is there something missing there?
1: Yes, it is. At least in Spain, the problem is that most uh, wineries, they don't realize the importance of this new scenario, and they are not prepared to invest money in this, well, for example, in renewable renewable energies. That's a real problem, yes. On the other side, now the, the possibilities are there to invest in potable panels or biomass or whatever the progress is being slow i know some wineries are doing it already at least in spain we have four or five wineries already that join us join us our group iwca but still there is a lot to be done
0: do you have a specific plan to try and get other wineries let's say in spain involved because i do see it as a country where there's a huge opportunity for sustainability innovation and i wonder what is the key to kind of unlocking more interest and resources from the big wineries in Spain?
1: Our sustainability manager, Mr. Rivas, doing a big effort on that. We are getting some articles in technical magazines that finally go to the wineries, also in the net. I know we are getting some free publicity. Especially since now, Brussels is helping, you know, all these investments. There is this program called, well, Brussels is, you know, giving money for investments Mm -hmm. related to climate change. Next generation, that's the name.
0: Let's talk about growers. Growers are often perhaps a bit neglected in the sustainability conversation. But one producer told me a few years ago, there are something like 3 million vineyards in the world. I thought it was 1 million, but apparently it could be three. And there's an awful lot of growers out there who are growing grapes, pretty low margin. How do we engage them? What experience have you had in getting growers to engage with these issues? Is there a key area that they get excited about in engaging with sustainability?
1: I think in the past, a lot of growers were doing this cover crop in the vineyards. Cover crop still is used today. It's a good way to store some carbon in the soil, at least for a few years. But now, presently, is the new concept called regenerative piticulture that goes a step further. You know, basically what you want, you want to avoid any labor of the soil. You want the soil to stay like that. And you want to leave all this grass that grows into the vineyards, leave it there, and maximum, you know, before the summer, maybe you cut the grass, but the roots still stay there. And these roots, they are going to, well, the roots are carbon also, and these roots are going to stay there for some years before they get transformed in CO2, in carbon dioxide. We are now running several experiments in order to find out how many tons per hectare of carbon we can store with this regenerative viticulture. That could be a good progress. And also one has to say, this is important too, with regenerative viticulture. We are not laboring the soil. So if we are not laboring the soil, that means less times that the tractor will have to pass through the vineyards. It means less emissions of uh, greenhouse gases. There are the advantages. My son is working with with this idea. He's made a federation of regenerative viticulture, and he's trying to get as many wineries and growers as possible in Spain, in this sense.
0: And what's the key to making a business case for them? Because farmers on low margins are often resistant to change. It's understandable. You know, they're scared of losing their margin and going bankrupt. How do you make the business case to a low margin grower that they should engage in what sounds like quite a scary concept for them?
1: I think we need a bit more time, at least two or three years, you know, to really have the figures, the facts. And then we can approach the farmer and tell him, listen, in this situation, with your soil, with your microclimate, this should be working for you. Now it's maybe a bit early to give them any advice. The best thing we can tell them is that, okay, why don't you explore it by yourself? But make sure a big mistake can be done if end of the spring, if the year is dry, like this year was, like 2022, if the year is dry, at the end of the spring, you have to cut the grass. You have to cut the grass. Otherwise, you are creating competition with the vines at the beginning of the summer. We had this problem in some of our vineyards, in our test, and we lost several tons of grapes. At this stage, we have to be careful and we have to continue to experiment and find out what can be done.
0: Yes, there's a lot of evidence coming from other areas of agriculture now, which the wine industry can learn from. I remember one example, a group of farmers we did an event with last year. There was a particular area of the US where there was a huge drought in the season. And the one farmer who had a crop was the one who had employed regenerative practices and he had enough water in his soil to grow a crop and nobody else did. And then every single farmer from the entire area came to his door and said, how come you had a crop and we didn't? That was a great example of how to spread the word, I think. Absolutely. I was going to ask you about technology investments in sustainability. I mean, you've mentioned solar, you've mentioned carbon capture. Are there any other areas where you see technology investment for large groups or smaller groups as being really key to tackling sustainability?
1: I think for sustainability, one thing we can do, and we are doing already, is to utilize models. If you analyze the carbon footprint of a bottle of wine, most of it comes from the glass. And one has to say the glass we use today, which has been recycled, the carbon footprint is higher than maybe back in the box or even PET. Consequently, glass is being attacked. Some people say, even some monopolies, they say, well, this is not sustainable. Glass should be replaced by plastic or whatever. That's why already since at least two years, we propose to our customers especially in the distant markets, to bottle our entry-level wines, bottle them at destination. And this is the case. We have done this with Quebec. Quebec has been already for, I think it's one year already, bottling our wine there. And the consumer, they like it. They like the idea that they are drinking a wine that has been producing less emissions. And then these bottles are being collected by the monopoly and reused again. So this is a perfect cycle. And I hope we can propose this. Hopefully we will accept our friends in the Scandinavian monopolies. And why not thinking of England in the future for the entry level wines? You know, I can say Grand Sagretor or Viñasol. Why not bottle them in England? I remember in the sixties, my first trips to England, I was amazed to see so many bottling companies and great wines from Burgundy in the barrels were being bottled there in the 1960s. So why not bottle today entry level wines at destination? That would be ideal. And then this glass, which is being reutilized, then the emissions are lower even than back in the box. A bucket box is not that ecological because most often, finally, it is incinerated because it's very difficult to separate the plastic from the carton from all these things. And the PET also has disadvantages because recycling it, there are millions of tiny particles you know that go into the atmosphere. They end up in the sea. They are <laughs> taken by the fish and then, of course, we eat the fish. So this today very much in the discussion. In order to have these bottles, also would be ideal that Brussels legislates standard bottles for these wines like a Burgundy, a borderless bottles, that would be the same for all over Europe. And that could be really very helpful. Let's hope it, it works. So let's talk
0: about that. So you would advocate that there's a regulation on standard bottle weights in certain categories. Would that apply to bottle shape as well?
1: I think we should be talking about the majority of the wines, which is Bordelais bottle, Burgundy bottle. Maybe, you know, the rim bottle. I think with this three, you cover 90% of the spectrum.
0: Understood. And going back to your point about reusable glass, the UK has Europe's largest bottling plant run in Bristol. I just did a podcast with them recently, owned by Accolade Wines. And they have a great record in shipping bulk wine into the UK, bottling it in the UK, then it goes to Tesco. The big problem, though, of course, is getting those bottles back. There's been much criticism of the deposit return schemes that have been created under extended producer responsibility schemes. Is there some sort of secret to making that work? Is there something that the Quebec folks you talked about are doing that could be used elsewhere to make deposit return schemes work? Because the opponents of them say that really what we need is just better curbside recycling. But then that involves, of course, recycling the glass rather than reusing the bottle.
1: I think every supermarket should make a campaign or should explain very clearly that his policy is in order to save emissions, to reduce the warming, no, these greenhouse gases. I think today most consumers also in England, they also in Spain, they are concerned by this, they are beginning to be concerned. And this is new for us. Maybe one or two years ago, we didn't see this reaction. Now, in the press, you can read that most Spanish are concerned about the climate change, and this is becoming a priority for them. So this should be linked. You want to fight climate change, you want to make sure the planet stays for at least another generation or two, okay, then reuse your bottle.
0: So I guess that's the opportunity for wine producers and retailers to really engage consumers on sustainability? Because the product itself has a great story of place. It has almost instant traceability or instant traceability. I guess the missing link could be that climate change impact of the bottle. Do you see that as the next marketing opportunity for consumers in wine?
1: Exactly. I think so. Depends on the the markets. I think today, maybe the Scandinavian markets in Europe, maybe in Canada as well, that's where most people are concerned by climate change. But I know in England, there is also great concern. And in Spain, recently also, you know, we are there. We are getting there. That's why I think it's a good opportunity for us. What some people
0: say when you ask about this is that the facilities to wash and reuse those bottles don't really exist currently. So we'd be building a separate set of infrastructure in order to wash, reuse, relabel wine bottles and other bottles, right? I mean, it's not just wine this could apply to, it could jars of olives, jars of whatever, glasses used in so many things. And what those people often say is, well, let's just focus on better recycling and put all wine under 10 euros a bottle into PET and focus on recycling PET at curbside. But I guess that kind of removes some of the glamour of the consumer connection, doesn't it, between the producer, the retailer and the customer?
1: Absolutely. (laughs) I would hate to see PET replacing the glass. The glass is novel. The glass is the best container for the wine. It's totally inert, 100%.
0: Even for a €5, I mean, I guess you don't make a 4 or €5 bottle of wine, but let's say that a €4 bottle of wine, is that really
1: justifiable in glass? Why not? Yes. Here in Spain, a bottle of Sangre Toro is less than 5 euros. I think for any level, it it would work. Of course, you know, the better wines, they will continue to use normal bottles. They will not be uh, reutilized. For the 80% of the market, I think this could happen. And how do we get the message across? How do we get a more consistent
0: approach to talking to those regulators in Brussels and elsewhere that we talked about? You and I talked a year or so ago about, could we take a group of wine producers and retailers to Brussels and go and meet with some MEPs? Is there a better way that we can affect how the incentives are created here? Because this seems like an incredibly important moment
1: for the industry. I mean, how could we do that better? I'm glad you answered me that because we have made, just before COVID, just before the pandemic, we decided to create in Spain a group of the CEOs of the wine industry in Europe. And of course, in Europe, we have in Brussels already an office, it's called Comité 20, that represents us, but you know, it's more in a technical aspects, more in the administrative aspects, and it's doing a great job. But this CEOs group now is being revitalized. We are meeting again in Porto in October this month, 18th of October. We are in Porto, we meet again, and we have several topics. One of those is sustainability and how we can get brussels to legislate for these bottles for these standard bottles we also want to talk about separate wine from alcohol but that's another subject maybe it's not related to sustainability
0: (laughs) well it is in the minds of some but i guess we can't tackle everything at once so we'll leave that one for another podcast but in the meantime miguel torres senior thank you so much for your time on the podcast today
1: it's been a pleasure like always